Hi, I'm Sue and I'm the pastor here. And I wanna welcome you to Sermons for a Critical Faith podcast, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today's message is part of our Lent series called Busy, Connecting with an Unhurried God. The series encourages us to find balance in our lives and connect with what is most meaningful and life-giving. If you find what you hear helpful, subscribe to our podcast and stick around after the message and I'll give you a little more info on how you can get involved and be a part of what God is doing here. Jesus talked a lot about the need not to worry and to trust in God's provisions. That is often easier said than done and maybe that is why he talked about it so much. As you hear the scripture read, consider what those things you are worrying about. Let's listen for the word of God for us today from Luke 12, 29 through 34. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or, what, or about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they, need, they have neither storehouse or barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of those. But if God so much, um, if God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you eat and what you are to drink. And do not worry, for it is the nations of the world that strive for all those things. And your Father knows that you need them. Indeed, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, my little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your provisions and give them alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I have to admit timing is everything, and I found it so interesting as I was working on this sermon, and the scripture was picked out um, months ago, uh, just how, how interesting timing is. Because a little over a week ago, what was the top news story? The collapse of a bank, people making a run on the bank to get their, their money out while they still had access to it. Uh, we've heard about the feds taking over another bank, banks bailing out another bank, and, and fears have started to ripple through the stock market and around kitchen tables. 
and I will bet that there has been more than one conversation around a kitchen table about how safe our banking system is and whether or not we should take our money out of a bank and put it in a, gar in a, a coffee can and bury it in the backyard like our great-grandparents used to do. This scripture reading, how ironic that for this week it is don't worry, which is so much easier said than done. And of course, as Jesus talks about don't worry, he's talking about something that we also struggle with, even if the banks weren't kind of uh, causing some anxiety in our society today. Jesus talked about cultivating that spirit that is free from the burden of things and money. And we all know how hard that is. The challenge of this text is similar to one that we talked about last week. It's that challenge between how do we live in God's kingdom where grace and mercy and generosity and abundance are to be found and living in this world where if you don't pay your rent, you get kicked out of your apartment. If you don't make enough money, you have to make that decision of do I put food on the table or do I buy the medicine that I need. We live in, in a society where uh, with our faith, we have that tension again between uh, not tying our identity to the amount of money we have in the bank or the amount of possessions we have or the kind of car that we drive, and yet we live in a world where our possessions and how much money we have in the bank determine whether someone will listen to us. That's the world we live in. And yet, we are told, don't worry. All will be okay. Don't worry. And yet, we have fears of recession, and we have inflation rates we haven't seen for decades. How can we not worry with what we hear when we turn on the news every day. It's tempting to take Jesus' words and spiritualize them. We've certainly done it with other things Jesus has said about money, like when he told that rich young man, go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and then you can follow me. And we are so quick to say, well, Jesus doesn't mean for you to do that, as long as you don't feel too attached to your money. So, it is, is very tempting for us to spiritualize things when Jesus gets concrete, because we know that food, clothing, and shelter don't rain down from heaven just because you believe in Jesus and just because you follow Him. We know that just because you take His Word seriously doesn't mean that you won't struggle. And yet, we have to take seriously the fact that Jesus didn't say things He didn't mean. The question I think we have to wrestle with with this text is, do you think the kingdom of God, that thing Jesus says we should seek, that thing that is uh, uh, epitomized by this idea of there is enough for everyone, that grace and mercy are the guiding values of those who live in it? Do we believe that this thing Jesus says we should seek right now is something we can find right now in the midst of a less than perfect world, or is it something that Jesus says, seek it because you want to notice it when it gets here? It's something for the future. Is it here now, or is it something we're hoping for? Well, Jesus was a very much a um, here and now kind of a guy. 
In the Gospel of Mark, and also in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says over and over, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in the Greek, those words, has come near, indicate something that has already happened. It's happened in the past, but it has implications for the future. The kingdom of God, Jesus is telling us, is already here. So he's asking us to look for something we can find right now, no matter what kind of circumstances we are in. We are not waiting for its arrival. This is not a prayer that we make that someday, God, in the future, all will be perfect. The kingdom of God is here among us right now. So what we pray for is for it to be realized in our lives and in our world more than it is. I want to look at the rest of what Jesus says about that, though. And bear with me, because in the moment you're going to say, what does this have to do with not worrying? It will connect. <laughs> Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. It's, it is here. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I will be willing to bet that any of us who grew up in the church or heard TV evangelists, when we hear that, our minds go to confess your sins so God can forgive you, so you can have a place in this new world that God will bring about someday, or so you can go to heaven when you die. Either one of those is kind of the, the traditional way that at least I have heard that word, repent and believe the good news. Well, we have good reason for thinking about that. John Calvin, the, uh, the 15th century former, said, admit that you are like worms before God. So, you know, take that however you wish. Um, but that's not what Jesus was saying, not even close to what he was saying. We've talked about this before many times. What does the word repent mean? It means to change your direction, change your way of thinking. Make a U-turn in your way of thinking. So, this is what Jesus is telling us. The kingdom of God is already here, so change your way of thinking and believe this good news. It's already here, so change your way of thinking and believe. Stop thinking that your possessions define your value because in God's kingdom they don't. Stop thinking that you have to have more in order to live up to someone else's standards or your own, because you don't. Stop worrying about how much you have or how much you don't have. Your place in God's kingdom is not dependent on how much money you have in the bank. And stop trying to compete with your friends and your neighbors or even your enemies to have what they have. That's living in this other world. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, change your way of thinking. That world you pray for where grace and generosity and mercy and abundance abound is right here. It's in the midst of your struggles. It is in the midst of your conflicts. It is in the midst of your work. It is in the midst of your life. So are you looking for it? Are you seeking it there in the midst of everything else that's going on? Jesus says, seek to possess grace, mercy, and generosity, and you will have what you need. Now, 
I am very much aware of the fact that Jesus was not saying this to a bunch of middle-class Americans who, I mean, the reality is, is we probably all have more than we need, and we could all get by with a whole lot less. But he was speaking to the poorest of the poor in Galilee. It's not like Jesus did not care about the reality of life, that if you don't have money to pay your rent, you may be out of a home. But he knew that striving after more and accumulating more and more and more is not going to give you what you ultimately seek or need. The more you try to find fulfillment and meaning and value in money and possessions, the more you're going to need because you're never going to have enough. Seek the kingdom and you will have what you need. So how do you do that? How do you do that when you are worried about the status of your bank? How do you do that when you are worried about your most basic needs? Well, once again, following the uh, theme of our worship series in the season for Lent, we stop, we breathe, and we trust. Stop because our fears and our worries can very easily run away with us if we let them. They can lead us down rabbit holes that we may have a really hard time climbing out of. So, stop worrying. We'll talk about how to do that in a minute. But stop worrying. We sometimes forget we can choose our own responses to the things happening around us. Science says that when something happens, you're going to have an initial, initial re emotional response. You can't always change that. But that only lasts for a fraction of a second. And then you have the ability to say, do I want to continue feeling that way? Or do I want to make a different choice? And you could make that different choice. When you find yourself worrying, and sometimes we may be down that rabbit hole a little ways before we do, but when you notice you are worried, make a conscious choice to stop. Because worry is about a future that hasn't happened yet. And it may not. It doesn't mean there aren't things that need to be attended to. Some things do. But worry is a waste of energy. And it eats away at life. Don't live in fear of what may happen tomorrow because it may not happen. Just attend to the things of today. What was it Jesus said? Let tomorrow take care of itself. Sometimes easier said than done, I know. Uh, Eric Elness, he's a pastor in Omaha. Um, one year he gave up worry for Lent. And he said it was not easy. But he found that with practice, with catching himself when he started to worry, when he noticed that, he found he was a lot less stressed and a lot more attentive to the good around him instead of the bad or the potential bad. One of the things he said about worry that really caught my attention was that if you worry, sometimes you create the very future you, you're afraid of. And he, he tells a story, his example, he's walking in the woods and he almost stepped on a frog. And the frog just quickly jumped out of the way. 
And he said, if that frog had just frozen in worry because it was afraid Eric's foot would fall on him, Eric's foot would have fallen on him. But because the frog, instead of wasting its time, we're reading into the frog's brain, I realize that, because, go with me with this one, because it sounds good. Um, if the frog had spent its time worrying and just freezing there, not doing anything, it would have died. But instead of expending its energy on worry, it expended its energy on doing something that it knew how to do. It jumped out of the way. But it's a really good reminder to us that sometimes we get so worried about stuff, we actually create the future we're afraid of. I mean, I think about that with the banks and, you know, the tendency of people, it's like, oh, my bank might be at risk. Let me go rush and get all my money out. Well, if everybody rushes and get all, gets all their money out, then the bank is going to be at risk. You've created the future you're afraid of. And I think we do that in many ways in our lives. So don't give worry too much power over your life. When you find yourself going down that rabbit hole, stop. Catch yourself and ask yourself, what needs to be attended to that is within my power? And then attend to it. Put your energy into doing rather than worrying. And if you find yourself worrying and you catch yourself and you say, what's within my power to, to do something about, and you discover and for a particular thing, well, there really isn't anything I can do. Well, don't waste your time worrying about it because it's just wasted energy anyway. Acknowledge what is, but don't expend your energy on something that's just going to make your life more miserable. So stop and then breathe. That's just that pause to be present in the moment and notice what's around you. Specifically, notice what's good around you. Notice what you do have. Notice the abundance you do have. What is God doing around you? You might want to start a gratitude journal. Every day, make a point of writing down Everything you saw or experienced in the last 24 hours that, that you're grateful for, that's a sign of grace, that's a sign of mercy, that's a sign of abundance, that's a sign of God's presence. Where did you see God at work? And what are you grateful for? Be as specific and minute as you can. If you enjoyed the taste of your cereal in the morning, write it down. Even the smallest things, as we make that list, we see that list grow, and it reminds us that no matter the troubles in our world, there is so much to be grateful for, and we see so many signs of God's presence. So stop, breathe and be present in the moment. Notice the signs of the kingdom around you because it is already here. And then trust. Trust that God is at work. Trust that God is providing what you need. Remembering that sometimes what we really need isn't what we say we want. Jesus recognized that our striving after more often gets in the way of experiencing the kingdom. So here's a way to trust. 
What if you made a choice to live without some of the stuff that fills up your life? Because sometimes we think that stuff is what we need to be happy, and when we stop depending on that stuff, we realize God is present and God is providing. This is where we tend to spiritualize things, by the way, because who really wants to get rid of their stuff? So, uh, going back to Eric Elness uh, over in Omaha, he's in a rather unique situation. He had a, a, when he moved to Omaha, it was just one of those right moments where somebody was being foreclosed on, two houses next to each other, and he just got it for a really good deal. He got two houses for the price of one. So they, they live in the big one, they Airbnb the small one, but in the small one, there's also a 500-square-foot uh, apartment. And sometimes they, they Airbnb their large house as well for a few weeks, and they live in that 500-square-foot apartment. And he said that what they found was that, first of all, smaller space, obviously they didn't move all of their stuff into it, what they found is that they spent less time inside and more time out taking walks, more time visiting friends, more time doing other things that they've been wanting to do, but you get kind of stuck in your house sometimes. And so they're doing an experiment right now. They're Airbnb and being both of their houses for a year, and they're going to live in that 500-square-foot apartment for a year. And even he says... They don't know what they'll learn at the end of it, but it's just a small step of something they are doing to try to not count on their stuff to make them feel fulfilled, to make them feel of value or of worth. So it'll be interesting to talk to him when he's on the other side of that and see what that experience was like. But I think if we're honest, as I say, most of us have way more stuff than we need or probably even want. And so, what if we practice getting rid of things? Because you see, often we started talking about worry. What's one way we deal with worry? We gather stuff around us. And hopefully that will make us feel safe and secure. But what if we practice getting rid of some of that stuff? What if we practiced sharing some of our stuff and not hoarding it? Because when we collect things, we also tend to be protective of them. And when we give things away, it tends to be a lightning of the Spirit. And when we give things away, we tend to notice others are giving as well. We tend to notice how God uses what we give. And it engenders more of that spirit of generosity instead of closing in and hoarding. So what if you made giving things away a spiritual practice? And then there's money. Have to talk about money as I opened up with the story about the banks failing. So much of our life circles around money. How much we have, how much we owe, how much do we want. What if we practice giving away our money? That's the ultimate sign of saying, I trust God to care for me. What if we practice giving away money and not just things? What if we stop worrying about how much we have or how much we can get and focus more on how much we can give. So I have an experiment for you. 
Most people don't tithe. Uh, if you're not familiar with tithing, tithing is giving 10% of your income to kingdom work. I don't say to the church anymore, although obviously we'd love to have 10% of everybody's income in the church. Let me tell you, if everybody tithes to the church, there is nothing we could not do, truly, even for a church of our size. Um, I, I figured it out for one of my, my uh, churches that was about half the size, actually it was less than half the size of ours. It was about 110 members. And I, I kind of looked at just the average income for that county. With West Central Illinois, we didn't have a lot of high earners there. Average income for that county, if every member of that church tithed, that church would have over a million dollars coming in every year. Can you imagine what a church of 110 members could do with a million dollars? Most of us don't do that, and I actually, as much as I love it, don't encourage it because the tithe came about at a time when the church, the religious organization, was the long-term care solution for people. It was the food bank. You know, it was all those, the help agency, and now we have so many other agencies helping with that. So let's talk about giving 10% away to God's kingdom work wherever that is. Most people give between one and one and a half percent of their income every year to that type of charity. What if you took the difference between what you give and the 10 percent and every month put it in a bank account? I'm not asking you to give it away. It's still yours. You still have access to it. But what if you put that in the bank a separate bank account every month and you said, I am not going to touch that unless it is truly an absolute emergency. The roof needs replacing and there is no other money around to do it. Um, you know, a health issue, whatever it is, whatever you define it as absolute emergency, but you don't touch it other than for that. And try living the rest of this year on what's left. And just see what that's like. It's kind of a no-risk way of saying, how can I learn to trust and not worry about everything? And then at the end of the year, if you found you were okay, then maybe consider giving what's in that bank account to some organizations that are doing God's kingdom work, and then start over for the next year. I've known a few people who've done that. Not a single one has ever regretted doing that. So when we find ourselves, uh, when we find ourselves stuck with worry, find ways to both stop going down that rabbit hole, notice signs of God's kingdom around you, and practice trusting that God is with you and God will see that you have what you need. It will change your life. I feel confident in guaranteeing that. And I feel confident in saying that at the end of this process, you will find yourself lighter and you will recognize that you are living in the kingdom of God in the midst of everything else going on around you. Because you will have discovered by trusting that God is with you, and God is active, and God provides. So I encourage you, don't just read these stories, don't just listen to these sermons and say, oh, that was good stuff to think about. 
do something with it. You may not want to take as big of a leap as, as taking that difference between whatever you give and the tithe and putting it in another bank account. Do half of it. I don't care. Do something. Do something that asks you to trust that God's kingdom is here and that you can live in it even now. Do something. And you will find that God is faithful. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. At First Presbyterian Church, we believe that we aren't made to do life alone. We are made to do it with others. If you're looking for a community of people who will meet you and welcome you as you are, then head over to our website, fpclincoln.org, to find out how you can join one of our small groups or studies and get connected with other people. Or if you just want some more information about our church or want to talk to someone, contact us through our website and someone from our team will reach out to you. You know, every week we get to hear stories of people finding God through these messages. And none of that would be possible without the amazing generosity of the people of First Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to join them in being a part of helping these life-changing messages continue to go online every week, then you can make a donation. And you can give by clicking the link on the website that just says give. That'll tell you everything you need to know. We thank you for your generosity. However much or little, it really helps. And thank you mostly for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Be sure to check out our other episodes or check out our YouTube channel at FPC Lincoln and check out our other messages to help you on your journey. And don't forget, subscribe to the podcast Sermons for a Critical Faith so you can know when we release new episodes. We love you and I hope you have a great day.